Coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. Our purposeful leadership model allows us to be able to walk leaders through what it takes to become. You'll notice that right in the center. How do you become a better leader? So we walk them through the emotional intelligence components of what it means internally. But then people need to see who you're becoming internally. We can't see that until you start to use oratory to inspire others. That's the first box. But we also know that you don't inspire people just by what you say. You inspire people by what you do. Do you want to learn the tricks that top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help lead to succeed. Picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, episode 91. This episode is sponsored by the Impactful Business Leadership Mastermind. The Mastermind brings together hungry, hungry entrepreneurs and business owners who want to scale their business, get their toughest problems solved, learn best practices, and build their networks. Learn more at impactfulcoaching.com forward slash BLM. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Eddie Turner. Eddie is an in-demand leadership development expert. He's a principal consultant and executive coach at Linkage, a boutique international leadership development firm. He is, certi- he is a certified speaking professional and is ranked number six on the top 30 list of motivational speakers by global gurus. Forbes recognized Eddie as the preeminent authority on emerging leaders. He is ranked number 18 on the top 25 thought leader in leadership by Thinkers 360 and ranked number 32 on the power list of the top 200 biggest voices in leadership to watch in 2022. Eddie, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Natalie, thank you so much for having me. What a pleasure to be here with you. No, it really is fantastic. I'm so looking forward to this conversation. I know we're connected on LinkedIn where you have a big voice and uh, obviously you are spreading your message in a variety of ways. And we share a lot of those similarities. I'm a speaker as well and a trainer, leadership coach and all of that. So it's right in my wheelhouse and I'm very excited about this conversation. And so I want to jump right in, Eddie, if I can, with a question about leaders. You know, we're in, you know, I I feel like we always talk about challenging times, but I think we know that we're in particularly challenging times still. And Mm -hmm. and I'm curious to know from your vantage point, what would you say are the primary challenges that leaders and particularly emerging leaders face and how do you help them? We're in challenging times indeed. You know, this for a while, this term VUCA has been going around volatile, uncertain, uh, changing and ambiguous mm-hmm. uh, has been going around for, for quite, a, for quite a while and mo- no time more than ever does it apply more than it is now. And for emerging leaders, the pandemic has made that accelerated that in the sense that it was already difficult to be, uh, sorry, that C stands for complex that was ringing in my mind. I didn't say it right. <laughs> volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous. But uh, it was difficult for emerging leaders at times to be seen, to emerge, as the phrase even uh, indicates, as a leader and take on new roles, new assignments in organizations before the pandemic. Now in a situation where everyone is working from home, you're out of sight, out of mind. So it's even more difficult, more challenging for a, a young leader to emerge. 
mm-hmm. in their roles when they aren't being seen in, in the office place because mm-hmm. of the pandemic. And so how do you help them? What, what, would you, what, would, what is the advice you typically give? You know, it's interesting to me because, you know, we might get into this whole idea of introversion, extroversion, and all of that. And I think that for many people, you know, it's actually helped in a sense because they have the ability to operate without necessarily all the dynamics and the noise around them. On the other hand, as you indicated, if I have to interact with people to influence them, because leadership is ultimately all about influence, and I'm not being seen in the same type of way, I don't have the ability, you know, as wonderful as these platforms are, these virtual platforms, they're not the same as the intimate connection, the physical touch, the, the, you know, the, the proximity, all of those things that, that being in the same space creates. So what are some of the um, strategies that you suggest? What are some of the things that you advise to help emerging leaders emerge? There are several. Uh, let me start with one. Show up and be seen. For example, uh, I was working with a, a leader very recently, and they talked about the fact that since they're at home, they attend all the meetings and never turn the camera on. Well, if you're not turning the camera on, you're there, but you're not there. Right. And at times, to exacerbate that, this individual told me that they weren't even talking during the meeting. Mm. So I said, let me get this straight. You're showing up to the session and uh, in name only. The leaders aren't seeing you. And you are making a contribution to the discussion? Yeah. Said, yeah, that's, that's it. I said, now tell me why a leader might not recognize you, why you might not stand up. <laughs> so we talked about the need to show up and be seen. Turn that camera on. And when you turn it on, have the presence that you need to have for the rest of the team to see. And then don't be a silent bystander. Let your voice be heard. And the beautiful thing about the digital platforms are, it's no longer that the senior leader has that corner office has that beautiful space that showcases who they are as a leader mm-hmm. here on zoom <laughs> we've all got the same real estate that's so right it's been democratized right. if, if you will so you're on the same level playing field as the other leaders you mm-hmm. actually have an opportunity to show up as a leader better now than you ever did before the other piece of advice i'd say is get a mentor mm-hmm. i did not have a mentor for the first few years of my career And my career reflected that. The moment I got a mentor, my life changed. But I learned something recently. Last year, I was in attendance at a speech uh, at a conference that Linkage, my new firm, ran, Mm -hmm. the Women in Leadership Institute. And they invited Carla Harris, the most powerful woman, Black woman on Wall Street, to be one of our keynote speakers. And Carla said, you can go a long time in your career without a mentor but you'll, you won't go far mm. without a sponsor. Mm-hmm. And that was true. Cause when I look back, the person that changed my life, his name is Bob Dean. He actually was more than a mentor. He became my sponsor more than someone just showing me how I can uh, comport myself in a corporation, teaching me new skills, but actually being that voice in the room for me mm-hmm. when others are making decisions. And that is what really accelerates the career of an emerging leader. So I'd say that those are two keys to success. Beautiful. I love it. Yeah, actually, I have a chapter. I, I know I shared this with you before we started. I've written a book on uh, on leadership, becoming the new boss. And I do have a chapter on mentorship and specifically the quality, identifying the qualities of, 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 of good mentors, right? The mentors that actually show up, the ones that are consistently supportive, because not every mentor is the same. And you need to find somebody 
who is committed to you, you know, who is willing to show you the ropes, who is humble enough to not just sort of dictate the terms, has a coaching element in how they operate, you know, so sort of unpacking what you said a little bit before about the importance of mentorship, because oftentimes it's not necessarily that an emerging leader doesn't know things. It's just they don't necessarily have the confidence or the clarity or the ability to put their, their knowledge into practice in the right way. And if you have a mentor who kind of like shortcuts that experience curve and allows them to leverage what others have already learned, then they can, they can be more, more impactful and influential at, at a quicker pace. That's been my experience. Very much so. And I take it a step further by saying that you also then need to upgrade mentors over a period of time because each one can only take you to so far. So it's not that yeah. you abandon that person and you don't ever have a communication with them again, but you must always continuously be seeking the next mentor. And I say you need three. You need one at your company in your, who knows your specific role. You need someone else who just teaches you how to navigate the, co the corporation at large. And then you need somebody completely outside the corporation who understands the industry or business in general that can help you. Interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a different way of looking at it. You know, you got a number of voices there, not too many cooks because you don't want to spoil the soup, but you have enough, enough to provide that, that perspective. So let me ask you a different question. Uh, I'm just curious to know, when you were growing up, did you consider yourself a speaker? Was that something that was a natural gift for you? Or is that something that you developed? I wouldn't say it was a natural gift. I'd say it was developed over time. And it started very early. I give my mother credit because of the way she would read to me every night. And the way my mom read to me was my first experience in understanding oratory, because my mom would read not with not a flat read. She always put intonation into the stories that she read. She was very animated. And later on, because of uh, a very religious discipline growing up, I saw speakers all my life. So when I began speaking at 13, it was initially obviously mimicking who you've seen. Later on, I, I started to learn about other organizations uh, where, I would, where I would receive additional training or tips that helped me develop even further as a speaker. And what was it that, that motivated you to make this a career path? It was interesting. I was going for training to be a coach. I decided I was leading IT officially in my first career. I wanted to become an executive coach. Mm -hmm. Well, the person that was working with me said, you know, if you're doing speaking, you really need to belong to the National Speakers Association. And I said, I don't need that. <laughs> I just like it to Toastmasters and some of these other programs I've heard about, which I wasn't against. I just didn't feel I needed it because I felt I had the experience and I had training in other areas that I felt equipped me. And he just wouldn't let it go. So finally, I said, okay, I'm going to go to this session. He'll leave me alone. I can say I didn't like it and we're done. Right. I go to the session. And they have these little flyers in the center of the table. The, the speaker was phenomenal. I take one of the flyers, I start taking notes on the back of it. Then I take another flyer and another flyer. By the time the session was over, I had uh, three of those full filled with notes, ideas, and techniques that I'd never heard. And I joined the National Speakers Association chapter in Houston that day. And I joined National the next month. And I had to wait a month because I had to then document all the times I'd been paid for speaking that equaled the amount that they require to be considered a professional speaker. Mm -hmm. So that was uh, November 20, October, October 2014 uh, is when I became a member of the National Speaker Association's Houston chapter, 
officially a professional speaker by their standards in November 2014. Nice. So let's talk about the fact that so many leaders emerging and more established just are uncomfortable as speaking as as a speaker. You know, oftentimes people will say they'd rather inflict, you know, bodily harm to themselves and have to get up and speak publicly, if not worse. So speak to that a little bit, Eddie, from your perspective, what, why do you think so many folks are afraid to speak? And, and maybe more importantly, why is it so critical that people be able, they don't necessarily have to become stage speakers and, 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 and universally acclaimed and all of that, but the importance of being able to communicate a message through speech, not just through email, not just through a memo, but the ability to get up in front of an audience and to express your vision, your passion, your message, whatever that is. Um, so, so talk people through, the listeners here, uh, just in general about making that transition from, I'm not a speaker, I'm afraid to get up there, to confidently owning the room. Well, you're right. It's a big fear for a lot of people. And I forget which book it was or which study that undertook this listing, but for years, fear of public speaking was number one. Mm -hmm. Death was third. Right. So people would rather die than speak publicly. Well, for me, when I'm uh, working with leaders who want to get better in this area, I number one ask them, what is the fear? And I begin to examine what that fear is. And I remind them that when we talk about public speaking, it's not always necessarily before a large auditorium. Public speaking is even when we're speaking one-on-one. -on -one. And as James Hume's famous speech writer for uh, presidential speech writer, I believe it was President Reagan, as he said, every time you have to speak, you are auditioning for leadership. So you want to master professional speaking or public speaking because it's a leadership skill mm -hmm. and it's your opportunity to influence others through oratory, either one-on-one -on -one or with large crowds. It's your opportunity to show that you understand a concept. The person that, can under, that understands it best is usually the person that can explain it. Not always, but that is one start. Yeah. Can you explain it at a high level and then how deep can you go with it? So let's talk about that piece, if I may, for a second, Eddie, you said, what is your fear, right? So you're trying to, I, I'm, I'm assuming, correct me if I'm wrong here, that you're trying to help the individual understand, you know, what's, what's getting in their way, what's the blockage. Mm -hmm. And also I would, you know, I personally would add, maybe you do this as well, but what's the worst case scenario? In other words, what's the risk here, right? What's the downside of you getting up and speaking to your audience? Mm -hmm. And so I'm just curious when, when you have these conversations, what do people talk about? What are they truly afraid of? And then how do you coach them to get past that? Everyone's afraid of being judged. Everyone is afraid of their seat as an expert in what they do technically. Mm -hmm. Still questioning what they're doing. But now to have to get up and explain that in front of others, it is the fear is palpable. <laughs> yeah. So we don't want to be judged. Others fear that perhaps maybe they would be seen as not being as smart as they uh, claim to be. Mm -hmm. Right. Or others, sometimes it's nothing even related to that. It's body issues. It's, it's a lot of things that aren't material. Um, if you were looking at it uh, from, a, from an external standpoint, but to mm -hmm. that person, it's a, it's a very real fear. It's a very real, uh, it's, it's, it's paralyzing. So, so how do you help them? 
we walk through what those challenges are unique to that individual. And then I open up the coaching toolkit. Mm-hmm. We start to ask probing questions. Mm-hmm. I listen. And depending on what their issues are, we get to the point that they can't face those issues and successfully go forward. Mm-hmm. For example, I have an individual who we went through that process with. And that individual is now uh, doing very well. It starts with just the basic speeches that you're giving in school, for example, before the class. Mm-hmm. But I say before, long before it's the speech that you have to give before class, how often are you raising your hand to answer questions in class? If you get comfortable speaking, period, before others, then you'll be able to speak in larger venues before others. So starts with giving that simple answer to the professor's questions to then speaking for your classmates. And then this one individual who I have in mind, I'm talking about, she was honored to give the speech at the uh, graduation ceremonies for this prestigious university. Beautiful. And she overcame that fear. Nice. And you, you hit on something like a little tangentially, I would say, in your response earlier that I want to drill down on a drop more. You know, I, I happen to, I would say in all of the areas that I personally coach people on, whether it's in my book and my one-to-one coaching, the masterminds, et cetera, I find that leadership for the most part is less about technical knowledge, though obviously you need to know the industry you're in, your environment, the competition, et cetera. And it tends to be more about the leadership of people, right? It's the soft skills, it's the relationships, it's the capacity to understand others, be a motivator, a visionary, et cetera. So you kind of like talked about how somebody might have those technical tools, but maybe when it comes to speaking, they don't feel like they have those personal tools necessary to properly communicate their message and convey it in a manner that that is aligned with the knowledge that they possess and sort of there'd be that drop off. So I'm just wondering, sort of taking it out of public speaking, maybe going back to coaching or leadership development and all of that, from your perspective, what percentage, if you had to give a number to it, or at least a sense of effective leadership is about the technical side of knowing what the industry is about and kind of like figuring out the data, the numbers, all of those details, as opposed to your capacity as an individual to provide those visionary, inspirational messaging type components that are necessary to align and get people doing the work necess- you know, that, that the company needs for success. Yes. Well, let me just button up on that part and I'll, I'll answer that uh, question as well. The other thing that I've done with folks when they've had issues where their sphere of speaking is related to their physical, the sound of their voice, if it's too nasally or things like that, is I refer to my friend Roger Love, one of the foremost authorities on how you can get better at speaking when it's a mechanical issue, which is a legitimate mm-hmm. challenge to some face. Now, when it comes to leaders of the future, how can they lead when they have the technical component, but they are missing the other components? That's what I do every day as a principal consultant and executive coach at Linkage. We have a model called purposeful leadership. And in this purposeful leadership model, in fact, I'll share that with you. Uh, our purposeful leadership model allows us to be able to walk leaders through what it takes to become. You'll notice that right in the center. How do you become a better leader? So we walk them through the emotional intelligence components of what it means internally. But then people need to see who you're becoming internally. We can't see that until you start to use oratory to inspire others. That's the first box. But we also know that you don't inspire people just by what you say. 
you inspire people by what you do. So we walk them through how to become more inspiring in speech and in actions. Then you move to the point you can engage others. You get things done no longer because you're the smartest in the room. That's how you got promoted. But now we need you to be a big picture thinker. So you've got to get others involved. How do you engage them? Well, it starts by being inspiring. Once you are inspiring and engaging, then you can become more innovative. You're no longer beholden to the status quo. You start to question things. And now you're looking for new ways, new processes. When you do that, you're able to achieve. You put points on the board, you're getting results. And around all of that, you must be inclusive as a leader. Inclusive leaders are purposeful leaders and purposeful leaders are inclusive leaders. That's what our body of research at Linkage shows. I love it. I have uh, an ebook that's available for free download. I call it the three eyes of leadership. It's integrity, um, influence, and impact. And a lot of it interlocks or intersects with what you were describing, Eddie. The idea is that a person needs to be a person of integrity, but of course they need to develop that first. They need to you know, have that from within themselves, be mm -hmm. consistent, be clear on what it is that they're trying to do. And then when, when they have that integrity, they can influence other people because people start to see what this person's all about and they wanna be more like that individual because there's something there, something that they recognize. And that's where the real fire comes in, so to speak, the impact, that's what drives things to that next place. So I, I think we're speaking a pretty similar language here, which is the beauty of coaching and the beauty of leadership to recognize that whether you're up north, down south, in America, elsewhere, the core elements of people relationships, yes, culture, culture matters, but for the most part, it's the interactions of individuals that um, I think more than anything else really demonstrates the potential of leadership and its impact. So I have one last question for you in this segment, Eddie, before we transition. And that is, you know, I'm a big believer in asking people about failures because oftentimes leaders are presented to us as ready-made packages. Mm -hmm. You know, people who have already been in the field for X amount of time, we don't know their warts. We don't know their failures. We don't know the problems that they experience. And we think that they're just, quote, great. So when that happens, it actually is a disservice to us because it doesn't allow us to understand their journey and we have a very hard time replicating it. But when we see successful people who also talk about the problems they encountered along the way, I'm not trying to preach to you, I know you know this, but I'm sort of sharing it as we're, as we're discussing and for anyone who's listening, the idea that you know failure is part of success. And if you don't fail, you can't achieve really the pinnacle of, of, of your potential. So I'm curious to know, Eddie, what would you say your biggest failure was? And what was the primary lesson that you drew from it? Well, you're right. Uh, no, uh, I've, I've heard it said, and I don't remember who said it, so I can't give attribution. If you haven't failed, you haven't tried. Mm -hmm. So uh, every successful person has failures that were stepping stones to success. So rather than look at failure as a millstone that can sink me, I've used them to step up to build up. So one of the first things I'd say uh, when I think about my biggest failure would be deeply personal. I was married for 13 years, never thought I'd be divorced, ever, in a million years. And then I became a statistic. I, uh, you know, and I thought long and hard at the end of that. And I stayed single for about six years. And I thought about the fact that, you know, initially it's like, oh, this person is this, this person is that. And I had to go introspective. When a marriage fails, both people have some fault. And it, I looked at what I could do better. 
how can I do better, become a better man, better person? And then I worked on Eddie. And I was blessed to get a second chance at love. And now I'm about to celebrate five years of marriage to an amazing woman, uh, my wife, Ashley. And I wasn't a father before. I never had children. And we welcomed our first child last year. And Congratulations. Thank you. She's As we say in Hebrew, mazel tov. Thank you. So I believe that the lessons I learned and reflected on have made me better for Ashley, better for my daughter, and better, I think, as a person overall. I was young, and uh, probably some things I did were just because I was young. <laughs> yep. uh, I think the other things, uh, you know, just it's time and experience taught me, and certainly now moving those lessons forward, I hope my wife would say I'm a better husband. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm sure. I'm sure you are. When the tables are turned and I'm sitting in your seat and people ask me that question, I also refer back to elements of my youth. I think youth is where we have the opportunity to experiment, but of course, a lot of our failure exists there. And my, my head of school position was, was, was a great opportunity, but simultaneously, I made a lot of mistakes. And if I, I feel very strongly, I could not serve my clientele today. I would never have been able to write my book. I would never have been able to pursue a lot of the things that ultimately serve me professionally and personally if I didn't have such significant failures that I had to work through. Um, and it was a process. It wasn't like an immediate thing. So I did have a chance to try to rectify it, but it was definitely an eye-opener for me. So thank you for being open you know, and sharing that. And I think all of us you know, learn from failures in different ways, but the ultimate thing is keep going, keep striving, keep trying to get better. You said you worked on Eddie. I worked on Naftali and myself. And of course, we each have to work on who we are and find a better, a better way forward. So now is our opportunity to go rapid fire. And I'd like to hear from you. I get up early now. It's like I got this whole ritual going on. What's your morning ritual? One in particular that you would either say is like a critical piece in your day or just something interesting that we could learn from. Uh- Reading something uh, of scripture, uh, either not directly uh, from the scriptures or uh, something related, something spiritual that gets me uh, anchored and uh, reflection, meditation, prayer. Nice. A book that you gift or recommend often? That's easy. (laughs) Sally Huggleston's How Women Rise has been, I've I've given away a lot of those those books (laughs) for my friend Sally Huggleston. Interesting. Love it. Your favorite sport to play? It used to be basketball, but I don't play any sports anymore. Okay. And then the last one, and this is a biggie, I ask everybody, a productivity tip that helps you, Eddie, to get more done. Productivity tip. Uh, Document everything. Uh, So uh, meaning that I don't trust my memory. I, I keep notes, jot everything down. When ideas come to me, I keep a notepad at all times or the voice recorder app. And then I pull those things out later and then add them as tasks, as opposed to allowing those things to slip. You know, it's really interesting. And we're going to transition for a second, but I want to add this one point. Oftentimes we think that things like jotting things down are taking more time, but the reality is you save so much on the back end. Yes. So it's certainly very valuable. Thank you for sharing that. So tell us, Eddie, how can we connect with you further? Obviously your information will be in the show notes, but how can people reach out to you, learn about what, what you do, connect with you, possibly engage you? in your professional capacity. Tell us more. Yes, I work as the principal consultant and executive coach at Linkage. So visit me at linkageinc.com. And there you'll learn more about the amazing programs that we deliver at Linkage to help leaders develop, be it through workshops, 
coaching, consulting, and our biggest conference of the year, the Women in Leaders Institute. And right now we're running a promotion for our program about inclusion, leading with superpowers and symphony, the heart of inclusion. That's March 31st through May 26th. Two programs are running. But visit me there and you'll find uh, how to contact me or any of our other amazing folks at Linkage. All right. Well, thank you, Eddie, for all of that. And I got to learn how you get those, those screenshots up there so quick. That's a good tool. Anyway, so before we let you, before I let you go, uh, I'm going to ask you to leave us with one final life lesson. Keep leading. Never stop learning. Never stop leading. Short and sweet. Okay. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much for making the time to join me on the Lead to Succeed podcast. I'm very excited to get your message out there. And I know that Lead to Succeed Nation will really, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure. And let's talk again soon. Thanks so much for having me. My pleasure. Bye-bye now. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you can lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives the show more social proof and encourages more folks to listen. 